Welcome to the Winner Circle with Derek Pang. On this podcast, I'll be introducing you to real-world heroes who have stepped outside their safe, known worlds to pursue and live their win, their best lives. This is a choice we all get to make. The intention behind these conversations is to inspire you to move forward with greater faith, trust, and belief in yourself on your hero's journey ahead. Let's go, hero. Hello, everybody. I'm back here with a new episode. And on today's episode, I interview a man widely regarded as one of the top Indian clubs and steel make practitioners and coaches in the world. He's a level two steel mace flow educator, creator of steel mace flow Indian clubs, and leads warrior flow fitness based out of Regina, Saskatchewan, the world's first steel mace specific studio, also the largest mace training community in Canada. He's known for his hour long sets with the 10 kilogram or 12 kilogram mace, that's 22, 26 pounds, and his even longer endurance sets, which includes swinging a mace for 15 hours and swinging an Indian club for 24 hours. He'll be soon leading Canada's first ever steel mace flow level one certification in Winnipeg, Manitoba at White Lying Strong on April 22nd and 23rd. Welcome to the Winner Circle. Zach Yannick. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have a conversation. Uh, can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, I, I've heard so many great things um, from my friends, Leo Savage and DJ from White Lion. Um, I'm really excited to get to know you. Cool, man. Well, so, hey, thank you for the intro. That was awesome. Uh, you know, I don't like talking about my own accolades sometimes, but I love hearing my accolades from other people. So thank you so much. That was beautiful. Uh, and yeah, Leo, DJ, both great guys, both fantastic people. Um, so I'll, super, super stoked to hear that they have positive things to say out about me because I have nothing but positive things to say about them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this conversation, as we discussed prior to hitting record, is a very positive conversation with a goal to uplift, inspire, and empower everyone listening along to move forward with greater faith and trust with themselves on their hero's journey ahead. Wow. Um, and we're going to start it off on a really positive note. And that is with this first question, Zach, what do you love about your world right now? Not about the external world, but what do you love about your personal world at this moment here? What I love about my own personal world right now is the the expansion of it, the growth of it. Uh, I'm in a very, very much I'm in a transitional stage, but in a growth transitional stage in the sense that as we were just talking about within the next week and a half, I'm going to have a second kid, which I'm super stoked about. Um, Beyond that, I've started to try some new things. I've started to cross some things off the old bucket list. Since I was a little kid, I've loved professional wrestling. And so last month I had my debut match in a professional wrestling promotion. And then uh, on Friday, so two days from today as of recording, uh, I'm going to be having my first ever tag team match in a tag titles tournament. So my world is growing. My world is ever changing. And I'm, I love that. I love that so much. That's so exciting. Um, another question I'd ask all my guests, um, just to get a better idea of who they are, is about their mission, their personal mission here in this reality. Um, and that's not just what you do um, with Warrior, Warrior Flow or as a father um, or as a Steel Mace Flow educator. It's all those and everywhere in between. So just overall, what is your mission here on earth? Cool. I've always said, uh, if I were to put it into something nice and simple, just a little neat package with a bow on it, I'm here to help people. I, I just help. Uh, 
whether it's on the rugby pitch, I'm all about the support role. Uh, I've played rugby my whole life. And one of the things they teach you first and foremost is it's all about support. It's all about helping your team. Uh, that's on the pitch and off the pitch. That is translated into my work life. I'm here to help people. I'm here to help you move better. I'm here to help you feel better. I'm here to help you get stronger. That translates into the things I do in my my personal time. I spend pretty much all of my free time with my daughter, just trying to make her the best person I possibly can, or that she can possibly grow into. So I uh, help her, you know, um, I work very close with my family. So I'm able to help them in a wide variety of ways. I'm able to help the people that have helped me as I come up. If I put it nice and simple, I'm here to help and I'm always here to help. So please feel free to reach out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what does that helping look like? What does uh, a day in the life of Zach Yannick look like? Well, first and foremost, um, I believe in like the holistic being, right? The mind, body, and the soul. So I uh, primarily focus and specialize in practices that are going to help the holistic being, such as Indian clubs and steel mates. When I wake up at 4.15 in the morning uh, or so, 4.20 in the morning, I first just help myself a little bit. I breathe. I go through just a self-check-in. Uh, I am a level two Reiki practitioner as well. So I'll do a quick little scan just to see how the body's feeling, how it's how it's doing that day. Then uh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go right to the studio to start my day off bright and early helping people. I'm generally going to be coaching an Indian club session or something along those lines in the early morning, just to get somebody's body feeling right before they go on the day. I'm going to help them with their shoulders, their elbows, their wrists, but also their mind, because they're going to be learning these new patterns, these new positions, these new movements uh, that is going to, again, help their body as well. I'm going to wake them up. They're going to have a great day. I've helped that person from there. Next step is, hey, a little bit more practical help. I got to make breakfast for my daughter. Of course, I love being able to do that. My schedule is fluid enough that I can do things like that, get her to school, you know, and then while she's at school, I'm right back into coaching. I'm either um, working one-on-one -on -one with people in the morning where I'm interacting with them uh, again, either showing them Indian clubs, mace, things like that, helping them improve their mind, their body, their soul a little bit that way, or I'm coaching a steel mace flow mentorship or an SMF Indian clubs mentorship where I'm giving people the depth of knowledge that they need so that they can then go on and help people in by teaching them MACE classes, by teaching them one-on-one -on -one sessions, by programming for them, whatever it is. Uh, I get to coach coaches, which means not only do I get to help people, but I get to help people who are then going to help people who are then going to help people who are then going to help people. So it's this really beautiful thing. Uh, and then of course, in the evening, I'm back teaching classes at the studio, helping people again, just improve mind, body, and soul with that MACE. Uh, and then beyond that, I, of course, help myself a little bit by getting in my own sessions because you can't fill someone else's cup unless your own cup is full or close to full, I like to think. So I'm going to, of course, make sure I get in some time to swing the various things I like to swing, spend time with my family, and of course, to spend time with my rugby club and doing the whole wrestling thing. So mm -hmm. busy days, but they are filled with what I love to do. So mm -hmm. I can't be Sounds very full. Very, yes. Very rich. Can be. Can be. I love it. And uh, again, at the end of the day, I what I like to think, well, Leo told me something beautiful once. Uh, I was doing a mentorship with him like way back in the early days of Steel Mace Flow. And uh, we were talking about like being a full-time Mace coach because he was a full-time Mace coach. There wasn't many of them around at that point. And I was starting to transition out of my regular coaching practice uh, and was going into a full-time MACE coaching practice. 
And he told me this beautiful thing. He said, they, people say that if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. He goes, that's, that's bullshit. If you do what you love, you will work every single day at it. And I love that because I get to do what I love. I get to move these tools and I get to help people learn to move these tools and improve themselves with these tools. So yeah, I'm going to work every single day at that. And it's a beautiful thing. Amazing. Thank you for sharing that, Zach. And I'm super curious um, as to how the steel mace and Indian clubs came into your practice and so, why it's so important to you. So it was, it was honestly a pure fluke. It was this really cool thing. So uh, there's the Agatsu company up here in Canada, their certification company, they teach kettlebell Indian clubs, uh, some mace stuff, a whole lot of good like barbell stuff, a uh, whole lot of good mobility stuff, great company. Um, so they are who I was first introduced to kettlebell through. I had seen kettlebell online. I'd actually, what first got me interested in kettlebell was seeing on its like uh, their primal bell series, like the, the chimp head and the gorilla and that. I thought those were so neat. And so I was like, I'm going to look into kettlebells. And so I started trying to figure some things out myself. Uh, my mom owns a fitness facility as well, known as readiness fitness. And so she, uh, she at the time was like, Hey, if you ever get certified, like I'll get you one of those like monkey head ones. And I was like, okay, cool. So I started looking into certifications and Agatsu was running a kettlebell certification here in Regina. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. Signed up for the kettlebell course, loved it. That led me to, uh, well, that was in the very early days of my coaching career. So then I was coaching for a little while. I saw that they had a mobility course coming up. I'd had a great time at the kettlebell course. I uh, knew that after years of rugby, my upper body could absolutely use some mobility work, some, some love and uh, recovery. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to sign up for this other course. So I went to Moose Jaw. I took a mobility course from Agatsu. And while I was there, uh, they asked if I wanted to go to this thing called a Masters of Movement event. It's like a week-long training vacation thing that they put on in various parts of the world. And they were hosting one in Los Angeles like the next month. So they're like, uh, we would love if you could be there. Like you move so well, like you're a great guy. We'd love to like hang out with you for the week. We'll give you a discount if you're able to make it. And I was like, you know what? Another opportunity for a certification because they teach you certification and then you do a whole bunch of other practices as well. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. I'll sign up. I had no idea what the certification really was in any way, shape or form. I just knew that I was going to get to go to Los Angeles. I was going to get to learn how to surf. I was going to get to do some capoeira, like Brazilian uh, dance fighting. I was going to get to do a little bit of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And then I was going to get this like certification in this thing called like Mason clubs or whatever that was. So I was like, it was the least of my worries. Like I was not thinking about it at all. I was just ready to go hang out on the beach in March because, hey man, you're from Winnipeg you know what it's like in March up here, like, absolutely, I'm going to the beach. So I went down to LA with Agatsu. And uh, day one, they like we did some BJJ stuff, some capoeira stuff, they handed us a pair of clubs, they showed us some club things that honestly, I really wasn't into clubs at first, like I thought they were like, cool, like they did the trick for what we were shown, but I didn't really like, wasn't something I thought I would pour my life into. Uh, and then the next day, day two was when the Mesas showed up and pretty much as soon as they put one in my hands, I was like, Ooh, like, I like this. Like, I want to, I want to learn more about this. And, uh, so over that week, we got kind of the base fundamentals of Indian clubs and steel mace. 
And when I got home, uh, I immediately ordered a set of clubs because I saw that they could be like a really easy thing to introduce to like a person's warm up. And I was already teaching a mobility class. So I was like, perfect, I'll throw it into my mobility class. So I ordered like, uh, I think it was 10 sets of clubs or 20 sets of clubs, something like that. And then I ordered one five kilo mace and one 10 kilo mace because we'd been training on a five kilo mace and we'd been, uh, well, I'd been told that they did competitions with a 10 kilo mace. So I was like, perfect. I would love to do that something. So I got my five kilo, my 10 kilo. And like, again, as soon as they showed up, I was just every minute, like I would go into the gym with like deadlifts and bench press on my program. And then I would just end up playing with the mace for the, for two hours. And then I would go in like the next day and I'd be like, okay, I actually got to do the, the, the barbell stuff this time. And then I would just go back to the mace and I would play with the mace for a few hours. And then soon, uh, kind of mace was all I was doing. I decided I was going to start teaching classes, started advertising for that, realized that I'd like run out of, well, I shouldn't say run out of, I, when I was going to start teaching classes, I realized that everything I'd learned how to do with that five kilo mace, I can now do with the 10 kilo mace pretty simply uh, and pretty like efficiently after only a few weeks of practice. So I started to like panic a little bit because I was like, if I can, or if I've already made progress that fast, and I go to show this to people and they make progress that fast. That's awesome because like they've made fast progress, but I'm then not going to have anything to teach them. Like, and then I don't know where to go from there. So then I started to research more. I started to learn more. And part of that was getting, uh, stumbling across Steel Mace Flow on Instagram. And, uh, I shouldn't even say Steel Mace Flow, stumbling across Leo on Instagram because he wasn't even calling it that yet and watching him do his thing. And, uh, and then actually that's a, a story in and of itself. But the first time I saw him do it, I actually just kind of scrolled on. And then it wasn't until then I saw someone else do it that I was like, oh my gosh, this is a practice. And I started to figure some things out myself. But for me, it was this like early, as soon as I learned how to like switch the maze from one side to the other, I was just like, this is cool. Like I've not done anything like this, like leverage and rotation. And then the 360, when I was shown that, I was like, yeah, I could absolutely spend some time doing this. And it just kind of snowballed where I had this spark, I had this ember, and then I would learn a little bit more and it would make me fall more in love with it. And then I would learn a little bit more and I would fall more in love and I would learn a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And uh, next thing I knew, I was like deep in this world of mace where uh, there's this endurance side of it and this power side of it and this flow side of it. And then just this raw training aspect of it. And I love it all. So I'm doing it all, all the time. And it's a, it's a real nice rabbit hole to be in. And I, I love it. And, uh, with the Indian clubs, uh, like I said, at first, I, I didn't really see a value in them beyond, uh, I knew like three moves and, uh, I was told they were moves to warm up with. So I would do like those three moves to warm up four moves, whatever it was to warm up. Then I would do my mace. And that's all clubs were for me at first until I met this dude named Paul Terrace Walkowinski. He is this uh, amazing Gata, like mace and club practitioner out of Australia. And he was doing a workshop in Connecticut. So I flew to New York City. I drove from New York City to Connecticut so I could learn from this guy. And uh, again, I had immediately fallen in love with mace. So actually, when I was going down, the, the plan was to learn as much as I could about Gata swinging and the difference between like steel mace and Gata. And I just want, I was invested in getting that traditional Gata training and had no interest really, or very small interest in learning anything additional about clubs. Cause I was like, yeah, he'll show me like the same four things and that'll be it. 
but then by the end of the first day, I was like, yeah, I learned some things about Gata, but I had this new passion for clubs because he had taken that ember and he'd like really stoked it, you know, and he'd, he'd given me more depth. And I, I realized that clubs could be used for just this huge world of things. So uh, interestingly, because I'd flown down, I didn't take a set of clubs with me. But as soon as the course ended, I drove to a, a gas station so that I could find like a bottle of some kind that I could just swing. And I found a Perrier bottle uh, and it was perfect because it had that weird shaped neck, right? So I bought one and I went back to my Airbnb and I just practiced everything that he taught us in my Airbnb for like an additional like two, three hours that night. And then the next day uh, I met up with Paul again with some uh, other people in the community, just a handful of us in a buddy's backyard. And he showed me all this extra stuff, all this like high level stuff and, uh, it was all I could think about like for weeks. So as soon as I got home, it was again, just back to grinding, putting in hours and hours, learning more and studying and reading things online and buying old manuals and same idea. The more I learned, just the deeper I got into it, the more I fell in love with it. And the stronger that fire burned uh, to the point where, yeah, now again, I'm like, I'm, pr I'm preparing for a 30 hour swing. Um, and part of that is I learned that in the history of clubs, I'm a huge history buff. And in the history of Indian clubs, there were people who would do uh, wild endurance swings, 48 hours, um, 50 hours. There's one guy who uh, did 107 hours, which is considered the record. So the eventual goal is 108 hours, but this time I'm going to go for 30. Wow. So much to talk about from there. Let's just start with um, what we just, you just last mentioned. That's the endurance swings. Um, one thing when I first saw you doing your amazing endurance swings, um, like the 15 hour one um, with the mace and then the 24 hour with the Indian club, I just got concerned about injury risk. Uh, one of my mentors, um, Steve Maxwell, one of the first um, BJJ black belts um, in the United States, he's been on guest on here a few times. Uh, he used to be big into um, Indian clubs and kettlebells, but he actually stopped using them just because of the high um, risk of injury. And like a professional like yourself, I'm sure those 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 risk injuries are mitigated since you know how to wield that instrument with such proficiency. Um, but yeah, let's just talk about um, injury risk um, of using this unconventional methods of fitness. Yeah. So one of the biggest things I tell this to everybody is you have to be willing to listen to your body first and foremost. Like if the body says stop, stop, right? Um, part of any kind of strength training is being able to draw the line between tension and pain. Tension is your body's way of saying something's happening. Um, pain is your body's way of saying, hey, shit ain't right. So if there's pain, absolutely gear back, pull back, do what you need. Uh, that said, when these moves are done, like how they're designed to be done, there shouldn't be an issue. The issue comes when people start to push beyond what their limits are, of course, just like anything, right? Like uh, a deadlift can cause a ton of issues in the lower back if you're not doing it right. Just like a, a hard shape and can throw the shoulder off or the elbow off a little bit if you're not doing it right. So just like anything, uh, the key is to make sure you're learning under the watchful eye of a coach so that they can like make sure you're fine tuning things. And uh, if, if a person is going to get into an endurance swinging, it's just like any other exercise program it's all about progressive overload right um if you're getting into if you want to do an ultra marathon you don't start with an ultra marathon right you start with 5k same idea with the mace uh or the indian clubs if you want to swim for 24 hours someday you don't start with 24 hours you start with 
five minutes and then you build and you build and you build and you build. And uh, by making sure that you are listening to the body, you're progressively overloading in a very progressive way, uh, taking your time, being smooth and comfortable with it, there, there isn't much risk of injury. Now, of course, that said, in my early days, uh, I got good base information, but then it was a lot of just figure out shit on your own. So a lot of where my students get to benefit is that I did hurt myself a lot in the early days. Like I did mess up and I've, I've knocked my glasses clean off my head from things colliding. I've split my head open. I've uh, like cut behind my ear from slamming clubs in. I've had elbow issues. I've had wrist issues. And all of that came because I was trying shit out that I wasn't quite ready for, but I didn't have anyone to correct me, anyone to like kind of watch those things. So I just had to figure out the hard way. But luckily I did figure it out the hard way because now my students don't have to. Now I can be like, hey, just as a heads up because of how your wrist positioned, it's gonna cause tension in your elbow. So let's just reposition your wrist a little bit and then they don't have to worry about it. But uh, as far as like currently potentially dealing with injuries as I go through these things, um, I've, I've put myself through hell through my whole life. Like I said, I've played rugby my whole life. Uh, I've torn my ACL, bruised my femur, I've shattered my fibula. I've had surgeries. Uh, there's not a joint on my body that I haven't hurt in rugby. I split my face open like once a year playing rugby. Like I've had so many stitches, knee ER visits. And I'm so I'm kind of like used to pain in that front. So if like pain and injury has never been a deterrent for me, um, mm. like in any way, shape or form. So uh, that's never something I've like ever worried about. That said, uh, I've taken the time to make sure I progress in an appropriate fashion. Steel mace and Indian clubs, they work your muscle, yes, of course, but they put a lot of tension on the tendons and the ligaments as well. And people, especially if they have a like a Western training background, they will sometimes try and progress too quickly in these tools. And that's where the injury comes from because the muscle has the strength, the tendons and the ligaments don't yet. So I have like all again and again through like my own trial and error, I've been able to lay down like all sorts of benchmarks for progression to the point where I haven't like. I haven't experienced elbow pain or shoulder pain or wrist pain or anything like that outside of that 15 hour set for probably four years, uh, three and a half, four years. Um, my students, like if they get, like, if they have a little bit of pain in a session, they know that I'll be able to get it gone. Like, as soon as they bring it up. So they know to bring it up. And so, yeah, because of that, like I've taught hundreds and hundreds of students at this point, and there's not been any significant injury knock on wood. Mm -hmm. that's beautiful I feel one thing that causes injury not only in steel may steel club just really any like weightlifting anything is the ego oh, uh, right trying to do something you're not ready for or um swinging something because it says 20 pounds because like that's that's like a like that's uh, does like that's a honorable weight you know versus so, taking a 10 pound and making that lightweight feel heavy by pulling and ripping the mace the exactly. whole time through and doing that in a safe way so what have you learned about the ego not only from your mace and steel club practice but just in the ego in your life experience in general and how do you manage it yeah so that's a good question so um so one of the one of the, well I do a, this thing called a session zero. Anytime I start a new program with somebody or a new mentorship with somebody or anything like that, I, I do a session zero, just a little meet and greet, kind of like what we're doing here, where I ask them a bunch of questions and I find a bunch of things out. And I would say that there's one story that probably 60% of students tell me that is the same or similar. And that is 
uh, yeah, I saw people moving the mace online, decided I want to get into it. So I looked online, everyone was saying, start with the 10 pound mace. I was like, you know what? I'm big and strong. I started with the 20 pound mace and I got it. And then it sat in the corner for six months because I couldn't do anything with it because like it's it was way too hard. So then I got a 10 pound mace like everyone, like not everyone, of course, but like so many people. That's the story. I got a heavy mace because like I, I move a 60 pound kettlebell. I bench press 400 pounds. It doesn't matter. Like it's a different exercise. Uh, and so often online, I see people too. They're like, I'm thinking about getting a mace. These are my stats. And I'm like 10 pounds. I don't care what your stats are. Like, I don't care what your stats are. Start with 10 pounds is what I like to call skill-based fitness. Uh, skill is where the fitness comes from. So let's build the skill. Let's chase the skill, not the weight, as they say. Uh, but yeah, things I've learned about ego is who, you know, it can be, it can be a fantastic motivator. Let's be real. Like I have for a long part of my life, I was motivated by spite absolutely motivated by spite and spite comes from ego right at the end of the day uh if i'm if i'm walking into the facility to prove someone wrong about something because i'm spiteful about something they did same thing like that's training with ego right so sometimes if ego is harnessed it can be a beautiful thing uh that said it can be it can lead to a lot of issues as well and we got to be able to check our ego um to me, what I found was the biggest thing, especially coming from a sports background, is I at first would go into my sessions with the mentality of like me versus the mace. And it was always me versus the mace. And so because of that, there was a lot of ego lifting in my early days of mace where it was like, I don't think I'm ready for this yet, but fuck it, let's find out because it's me versus this thing. Like I'm going to do it. And so my hands would get torn to shit or like I would experience elbow pain for like three, four days after or like whatever, or I'd like get rocked in the red, in the leg because like I wasn't swinging like an appropriate weight. Uh, I would have issues. And it all came from this, like me versus the weight. I'm a, I'm the guy I'm going to do this thing. And what switched was I realized that when I move with the mace, it's a different style of like mentality. I don't need to approach it. Like I'm approaching a one rep max of something where it is me versus the weight. Uh, a lot of steel mace movement, especially in steel mace flow is done with the mace as opposed to against the mace. So I stopped thinking of my workouts as it's me versus the mace. And I started thinking of them as it's me and the mace versus the program. So because of that, I started to like select a better partner instead of like selecting based on the ego, I selected based on what the goal was, which really fixed some things for me. Uh, and interestingly in doing that, I realized that I stopped, I was starting to stop using spite as a motivator. It wasn't as much of like, I'm going to do this thing because people said I couldn't do this thing because that was a huge motivator for me originally, especially in Mace, because like I had lofty ass goals. I want like when I first started swinging a Mace, there's people out there now that are moving like 50, 60, 70 pound Maces. When I first started swinging a Mace, people weren't doing that. Like 10 kilos, 20 pounds, 25 pounds, like the Onyx Quad God was considered like a big heavy Mace. Uh, when I first started that shit's like medium late weight nowadays, like people flow with that mace nowadays. But so I had all these lofty goals and people would tell me all of the time, like, there's no way you're going to be able to do that. Like I would get a lot of that. So my ego was okay. I'm going to prove you wrong. And I, and I definitely pushed the envelope maybe a little too far at times, but that, again, that allowed me to figure out the checks and balances, the, the benchmarks that I needed that now I can make good fast progress and my students can make good fast progress while still being incredibly safe which is again the most important thing right safety strength beauty
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very sound wisdom. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm also really curious to hear your relationship with resistance. Um, so Stephen Pressfield calls resistance as that negative force in the world that keeps us from fulfilling our dreams. Um, it's that thing that keeps us in bed. It keeps It's the thing that keeps us from releasing that online program that we've dreamt of. Um, how has resistance reared its head in your life? And it'll continue every day. And how have you learned to work with it? So uh, there's a few ways I could I could answer this question. So one of them is uh, there's definitely been points in my life where it feels like the universe just throws things at me, you know, where it'll feel like my life's going the trajectory I want it. And then something happens and it just all hits the ground. And then I start to build and boom. And there's definitely those peaks and those valleys like that. Uh, like I tore my ACL. The next day I got a call from Team Canada for a tryout. So I had been climbing and then boom, uh, that was some resistance. And then I was working this good job. Things were going well, saving for a house, boom, shattered my leg, completely like set me back again. So there are these like universal things. Uh, and those, it, those, a lot of those happened in my early twenties and I did not handle them well. I'll be blunt. Um, I definitely in my early twenties would sink into anger. I would sink into uh, for lack of a better word, like addictions, like I was not the kind to like go on like a booze or a drug binge ever, but I was definitely the kind to like binge eat and put on 60 pounds in three months kind of thing. Like that's part of my journey was having been a very large person, uh, and getting down to a more lean person. Um, so in my early twenties, when there was resistance, I would crumble to be blunt I would collapse. And, uh, luckily had support systems around me that helped pull me out of it. And as I got older, I started to realize that a lot of these resistances came from my own hesitation towards things. Uh, And interestingly, um, part of what helped me start to get over some of those things was a Kevin Smith podcast. Kevin Smith, like the the director of clerks and small rats and that kind of stuff. uh, I'm actually wearing a, a sweater that's made to look like uh silent bob's trench coat right now just to like illustrate how much i love kevin smith's stuff i have a signature tattoo to my arm too uh that's a different story um but he had this podcast and he was talking about like why he made clerks and essentially it boiled down to he wanted a movie like clerks like he wanted to watch the movies clerks but it didn't exist so he had to make it And the whole point of his like rant that he was on was if something doesn't, if you want something that doesn't exist, you need to create it. And that hit me, that stuck with me because there were so many things in my life that I was like, I want this thing. I want this thing. I want this thing. I want this thing, but it wasn't available. wasn't an opportunity. So I was like, okay, well, if I want something and it doesn't exist, then I have to make it. So with the mace, I, when I first started teaching mace, I, no one was teaching a mace class in Canada. There were people who were teaching mace in Canada in like with kettlebell or with body weight or with something else, but there was not just a single mace class. And I wanted to go to a mace class. I wanted to attend one. I thought it would be really cool. And so at first I was like, man, there's no, there's no one who does this. It's not a thing. I can't do it because no one else is doing it. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I just listened to this awesome podcast that said, if you want something that doesn't exist, you need to create it. This is something that doesn't exist. So I need to create it. So I started the first steel mace only class in Canada. And uh, it was a hit. And 
then slowly but surely I was like, man, it would be cool if there was like a facility that was just steel mace and it didn't exist. So then I had to do the thing. I had to make it. So then I made it. And uh, now that is part of like when the resistance, if any kind of resistance pops up, is there's, if there's that push, that's one of the questions I'll ask myself. That and if not now, then when? And if not me, then who? Those are big questions I ask myself when there's this want or this desire and it feels like there's an obstacle in the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why, why, if not me, then who? If not now, then when? And if not me, like if not me, then who? A lot of the time the answer becomes, well, then nobody. And if not now, then when? Then the answer becomes, well, never. And if I want this thing, if I see value in this thing, then that gets me going, you know? Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. And it really leads me into this next question that I've been uh, wanting to ask you. Um, And I'm going to relate it to what you just said. Um, So let's put ourselves in the shoes of someone listening along here and they're feeling a calling in their heart. They're feeling a calling in the heart to um, quit their job and to go into fitness, be a fitness coach or life coach or become a yoga teacher, or they're wanting to travel the world or they're wanting to take that next step in the relationship or whatever they're wanting to do. And they feel fear. Fear is the real factor. And they're stuck. They're paralyzed at that crossroads, that crossroads of should versus must. Um, the shoulds of society, of culture, of your parents, of your teachers, of your friends telling you, well, you should you should do this. You should keep your safe job um, versus like that must, that, that must that is in the heart. But it sounds like for you, when you felt that must is very easy for you to step into it. Um, maybe that is true. Maybe that's not. Um, but if you could elaborate on, on that process and then what would be your advice for someone at that crossroads that are kind of just, they're feeling that call, like they want to take a steel mace flow training, or they want to just pursue their passion deeper than they are now. Um, but they're scared. Fear is a factor. How, how can you relate to that? And what advice would you have for that fellow hero? Yeah, fear is, man, isn't it this amazing thing, hey? Like uh, fear can really drive a person towards something, right? But it can also really pull a person away. Like you're saying that fear can be something that blocks you. Uh, something that I found is sometimes, sometimes fear can work to get the fire going a little bit in the sense of like, I am self-employed. I coach Mace and I coach Indian clubs for a living. So I do have some fear of the fact that like, maybe I'm not going to be able to pay my mortgage. Maybe I'm not going to be able like, cause it's all on me, right? There's no security. So I use that fear as a motivator where it's like, if I ever look at my bank account and I feel like it's a little like, oh, that's not great. I'm going to push some intensity, right? I'm going to advertise a little bit more. I'm going to put some more things out there. I'm going to try and bring people in or whatever it is. So one of the things we can, one of the ways we can face fear is to, to utilize it, use, right? Use it as a motivator, but sometimes that's just not an option, right? Maybe it's the fear of rejection or whatever. That's what the fear is. Generally, if there's fear there, it's because there's a connection to some other strong emotion as well. And so first and foremost, I say, identify that emotion. Um, for a long time, I tried to completely eliminate all negative emotions for myself. I tried to not get upset. I tried to not feel angry. I tried to not feel fear. Like I tried to eliminate everything I considered a negative emotion. And I realized after a few months of like being relatively successful with a lot of it, I wasn't experiencing the positive emotions as hard. 
I wasn't feeling as much joy. I wasn't feeling like as much like happiness when I would get happy, it would just be a very mute happy. And I realized that the people I know who experience emotions like to the extreme do so in both directions, right? When they get sad, they're devastated, but when they get happy, they are the happiest person on earth. So I think there's this direct link. So fear is this one that has a connection to a wide variety of emotions, but it is connected to some emotion. So if you're feeling a deep fear, that's because there's some other deep emotion to it. Look at that emotion, identify that emotion. And if that's the one you want to chase, then chase that shit. Like if it's, if you're afraid because the other outcome, like the, the emotion attached to it is sheer happiness. Like let's say again, using the relationship, for example, if you are terrified to ask the girl to marry you, that's likely because you will be absolutely overjoyed if she does marry you right? To me, that is a positive emotion to lean into. So lean into it, you know, lean into whatever that fear is attached to or lean into the fear. Those are your two options. Um, I can be very blunt when I coach people sometimes. And one of the things I like to say is you always have two options. You always have two options, no matter what the situation is, you always have two options, either do it or don't. It's, it's that simple sometimes. And so when you're faced with just those two options, either do it or don't, and there's fear versus whatever the positive emotion that is attached to that fear as the do it, I'm generally going to lean into the do it myself, because if the other option is fear, I don't want to, I don't want to not do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then of course, we could always talk about there's, if you, if you ever don't do the thing, then you've condemned yourself to a life of what ifs. Versus if you do the thing, you don't have to worry about it because you get the answer. If if you crash and you burn, cool, you learned. Uh, mm -hmm. If you go on, you go on, right? But my family motto uh, got the, like my whole family uses this. Distant cousins, second, third, fourth cousins that live in Shoal Lake, Manitoba use this. Uh, we don't lose in my family. We don't lose. We either win or we learn. So again, if you have that fear, generally attached to some sort of decision find out find out you either when you learn lead mm -hmm. into positive emotion that's attached to that fear chase whatever that may be and do you of course be smart though right like if it's like like myself right now if i were to say like i am going to never teach mason clubs again and i'm going to become a ballet performer probably not a good call because i have a family to support and the such but if I started to take ballet lessons on the side and slowly started to face things out, cool. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I will be a ballet performer someday. So uh, I guess another note would be if you're faced with fear, create a plan, right? Create a plan, be especially again, if this fear is attached to this goal, create a plan that'll help you work towards that goal in a way that gets you maybe around the fear. If it's a fear of financial, cool, slow build it. They always say when you're starting a new small business, don't quit your day job, right? Wait until your small business is out earning your day job and then quit your day job. Like there are things like this uh, that must be considered. So I don't think there's a real one blanket answer, but if I were to try and give a blanket answer, it would be identify what the opposite emotion of that fear is, decide how you're going to lean into it and don't lose either win or learn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Um, let's take a look at, that motto, live or learn. Um, let's talk about some challenges you've faced and overcome so that we could really um, see how you've embodied um, this, 
this motto of living and learning. So yeah, let's talk about a few challenges. You've mentioned a few, but um, let's just, whatever comes to your heart, let's just, what are some challenges that you you faced and how did you overcome them? And what did you learn in that process? Cool. Uh, so the, the biggest one for me is always going to be where the name comes from. So my Instagram handle is Frankenlags. And uh, a lot of people know what that means nowadays. A lot of people don't know what that means. And where that comes from is it's a, it's a rugby nickname. So when I was 19 years old, I uh, had made a semi-professional rugby team in the Canadian prairies here. I was playing for like a rep- representative team for the whole prairies. It was uh, based out of Edmonton. It was awesome. And uh, I played in this tournament, had a decent tournament, came home, decided to play in some like meaningless exhibition game just to show off a little bit and uh, got hit weirdly in like an illegal tackle and I tore my ACL but that happened Friday night I was 19 leg was hurt decided it was probably hyperextension so I didn't go to the doctor I went drinking and hot tubbing and completely lost all mobility in my left leg next morning I get woke up to a call from my coach saying hey team Canada wants you to come train team Canada wants you to come do a workout a trial and I was like okay cool I hurt my leg last night but I'll go to the doctor tomorrow I'll uh, see how long it takes to recover from a hyperextension and I'll get back to you went to the hospital the next day on the Sunday then um, doctor gives the test he goes hey uh, it could be a hyperextension but you're strong to the point where I think other things might be compensating to hold your knee where it should be so I want to put a needle in under your kneecap draw out some fluid and uh that'll let us know if it's actually torn or not i said yeah let's find out like i have this tryout so he pulls the fluid out and i i just burst out laughing as soon as i saw it because he had explained to me that if it was clear everything was fine if it was tinged pink my meniscus was torn if it was darker i probably had like an acl tear and when he pulled it out um it was like the color of dirty whiskey and there was chunks floating in it so i knew things were messed up in there so uh i just burst out laughing so the that was like up to that point, that was one of the biggest pieces of adversity to hit me. There were some, there were some things I could go into from when I was a kid, but I was a kid that situations aren't up to me there. As an adult though, that was like the first big bit of adversity that hit me and I crumbled. I crumbled as we talked about. I, I didn't handle it well. I ate and I just sunk into a depression and I went from my standard playing weight of 215 pounds up to 267 pounds in the span of months, like three and a half months, four months. And um, it was awful. I took a year off rugby. I went to go back to it. Uh, I got down to about 245 pounds, which was, I'd always been small for my position. And even at 245, I was small, but it was at least better. So I wasn't as beat up after games, but I was whatever, 245. Uh, That lasted for three weeks. And then I shattered my fibula on my other leg so broke one way broke back the other way so for those three weeks my rugby team had nicknamed me Frankenknee because they had found out that the ACL that replaced my ACL came from a cadaver so they're like hey man you have a dead guy a bit of a guy in your leg you're Frankenknee now I was like okay cool and then after I broke my leg they saw it uh, my best friend saw it I remember it very vividly I was laying in the hospital bed came to visit the next day and he was nodding and I was like what's up he goes well I noticed it's on the other leg now and I was like yeah he goes we can't call you Franken you will have to call you Franken legs because now I have the cadaver ACL in one leg and nine inches of titanium and eight screws in the other leg and after I got that injury I reflected on how I had not done really well with the learning in the first 
first big injury. I lost and I actually lost and I didn't learn, but I did end up learning because the second time with this leg, I realized I couldn't do that again. I learned from my mistakes, if you will. And I reached out to my mom who, like I said, uh, owns a fitness facility as well. And I said, mom, I need help. Like, there's no way I can, I can handle putting on that much weight that fast again. Cause if I put on 50 pounds, like I did last time, I'm gonna be like 300 pounds. I don't want that on my frame. I don't know if I'll be able to play rugby, how I like to play rugby. If I do that, like I can't do it. So my mom helped me keep my nutrition in check. And, uh, at that same time, I, I hit another setback when I kind of mentioned earlier, I was working a good job, but because I broke my leg, they told me I didn't meet requirements for my position anymore. And I was effectively let go. So because of that, uh, I was also out of, out of a job and that, uh, motivated me to get involved with my mom's business. So I learned, okay, like I need to like get out there and, and do something that like won't like if anything like this happens again that I won't be majorly set back in so I started helping my mom with like administration stuff and I had actually never had any intention of ever coaching I'd never no intentions of coaching I was just going to help her with admin stuff um, while my leg healed up and then after my leg healed up I was going to get back into like a regular job but uh, as my leg was healing up my mom needed someone to coach kids classes so I was like okay like sure uh, I coached rugby and football for kids since I was a teenager, I'll give it a shot. So I took my first personal, well, actually I didn't take a personal training certification at first. I just challenged one of the, uh, one of the courses exams and passed it. So I got my first one just through challenge. Then I got my CanFit then I got my Gatsu and these things kind of spiraled. So, um, when I, again, when faced with adversity at first, it was very much like I lost, I definitely lost because I just, I, I, how to phrase it? I let myself stop growing effectively. Like while I was healing, I just curled into myself versus trying to expand myself. And then when I injured myself the second time, I realized that I can't sink into that same depression. Part of it is making sure that I'm trying to learn and trying to grow and trying to be better while I get better. And, uh, yeah, that would be, I guess that would be the big thing is I, I've learned that for me personally, the only time I'm who I'm supposed to be is when I'm actively working towards something. And if I'm not actively working towards something, I get a little listless. And if that's happening while there's some other adversity happening, it's not a good thing. So I always have something I'm working towards. Uh, that's why I have a goal of swinging clubs for 108 hours and swinging the steel mace for 24 hours. Because mm -hmm. those goals are going to take a long ass time. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. So much wisdom shared so far, Zach. Um, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge all the mentors and helpers that have helped you on the way. Of course, there's been so many, so you don't need to name them all. But just like off the top of your head, um, who have really made a lasting impact on you and what part of them or, or their being you've incorporated into your being? Cool. So I, I, of course, want to start with my mom. Uh, I grew up with, in a single mother household. Uh, and of course, with all the turmoil that that comes with, uh, but my mom has always been like a rock for me. Um, she's definitely where I get the, all I want to do is help the people thing. Like that's her whole life as well. She helps people. Um, I like to say our family business is helping, which is so cool. So, uh, yeah, of course I got that from my mom. I also got, get my drive and my, 
uh, okay, I'll just do it myself kind of attitude from her. Like she's definitely like, I remember being six years old. So my mom would have been like 23, 24 years old. Uh, again, single mom, we're living in some townhouse and she decides that she's going to paint just a huge accent wall and has never done anything like that in her whole life, but she just figures out how, so she does it. Uh, and so I definitely get that from my mom. And, uh, I would say that's been a huge lasting impact is, um, believing in myself, you know, backing myself, pushing forward, even if, uh, maybe I don't know the way or I don't quite know how it should be done. I'm going to figure out a way to do it myself and it's going to be an effective way because that's what we do. So that from my mom, of course, the idea of um, we don't lose, we either win or we learn is another thing from my mom. Uh, I also have my mom's writing tattooed on my wrist here. It says, uh, fake it till you make it. That's another big thing I learned from her. If you lack confidence, just pretend you're confident and people will believe you're confident and eventually you will be confident. Uh, I hated public speaking as a kid. Now I public speak for a living and it's all thanks to that advice. Uh, so yeah, her, it, she is easily my biggest mentor ever in business and coaching even I would say uh, in life, definitely her. Beyond that, um, early, so a lot of early father figures for me were huge. Like I said, I grew up with a single mother household, so I didn't have like a father in the house, but I had a lot of really good father figures. My uncles, um, Uncle Steve, my Uncle Avery, and my Guido, my grandfather were huge for that. Uh, and they definitely taught me uh, what it means to like work for others too, in the sense of not like working for someone else's business, but like putting in work to help somebody else versus putting in work to get a paycheck. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of things that I do that I don't charge for because it'll help somebody. Uh, so I learned that from my uncles and from my grandfather, for sure. I've never seen people like one summer when I was 15, my Guido who had been a, like a very well-known um, uh, stucco uh, he owned a stucco company for years and it was very well known, but he had retired. He hadn't done that for years. Well, he was living out on a farm and a neighbor needed some stucco done. So my Guido called me up, had me come up for like three weeks in the summer and we stuccoed this dude's whole house for free. Um, and so things like that, like helping your neighbors, I definitely get from them. Uh, then from my, I've, I've had a lot of very good positive coaches in my life. Uh, I always like to start with one named Ryan Hall. He was my football coach and another huge father figure of mine through high school. He was my English teacher through a bunch of years. He was my football coach for three years uh, and has been a father figure and is still a mentor to me to this day. Um, he, I get my tenacity from him. Definitely my never quit. Um, I, in high school, had a custom mouth guard that said never quit. And it was because of like a post practice speech he gave one day that like got me so fired up that I, had I been old enough to get a tattoo, I would have got a tattoo, but I was only 14. So I got a custom mouth guard said never quit. And so definitely shout out to coach Hall. Um, Paul Terrace Walkowinski, who I mentioned earlier, he's why I do endurance swinging. One of the first times I ever stumbled across him was, uh, and he's going through a battle with cancer currently. But when I first stumbled across him was the first time he was going through cancer treatments. He went into remission for a bit, but he was going through cancer treatments. And he posted about, it was just a, a simple video of him swinging a uh, gata, doing alternating single arm swings, 10 and twos, if you will. And uh, I read the caption and he was swinging, I want to say it was a seven kilo mace and he swung it for 14 minutes. 
and uh, it was immediately following chemo treatment, like immediately, like he was on the hospital's front lawn. And I remember seeing this and it was very early in my MACE career. I'd maybe been in like using MACE for like eight, nine months at this point, not a year yet. And I saw him doing this and I was like, my goodness, like I can barely swing a five kilo MACE single-handed for like three minutes. And this dude's doing like seven minutes that or 15 minutes that day. And I, and then I went through his page and he'd done longer before I was like, this is amazing. And this dude's going through cancer treatments. So he was this huge inspiration to me in the world of like pushing past the limitations or not allowing the limitations to prevent me from doing what I like and what I love. Uh, and even still, like when I go through my 15, like when I went through my 15 hour set, there's probably a good hour where I just thought of Paul, uh, when I, whenever I swing a mace for more than like 20 minutes, he pops into my head. Like that dude's a huge inspiration. And I, I've, I've talked about it before, but I, I can never talk about it enough. As far as I'm concerned, that dude's a king. Um, beyond him though, of course there's Leo. Leo has been a huge mentor to me in a wide variety of things. I like to say Leo is the big brother that I never had. So of course there's all the gives and takes of like that kind of thing. Like we definitely have that, that kind of relationship. Um, so big things uh, that I of course learned from Leo is to, to lead with passion. Uh, before I met Leo, I would always talk about how passion shines through that. If you're, if you really are passionate about something, um, that people would be drawn to it. But it wasn't until interacting with him that I learned that what it means to be a leader and using that passion to be a leader. So that's a big thing. Also, of course, the whole educate to heal uh, mantra that we use in Steel Mace Flow, educate to heal, um, like putting mace in hands, like all that, just huge, 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 huge from Leo, of course. But um, the biggest one, uh, biggest like takeaway from Leo, I would say, is uh, not just to lead with passion, but to lead by great example. There are too many people in the world, uh, but definitely too many people in the fitness industry that are uh, a lot of talk or a lot of do as I say and not as I do. And I don't jive with that. Uh, I believe in leading with great example. That's why I put myself out there to try and swing the heaviest mace possible, to try and swing the longest. That's why I put myself out there to try and create these big, crazy flow series to uh, put out YouTube content, Facebook content, Instagram content, Reddit content, whatever, is because I want other people to do those things as well. Uh, so how can I expect other people to do it if I'm not willing to do it? So I'm definitely going to, I put myself out there, uh, who I am is who I am and what I put out there is what you're going to get when you meet me in person. And that's definitely something I picked up from Leo. Um, if I know you've had the opportunity to converse with him several times, but I know leading into it, uh, my first actual meeting with Leo way back in the day, I was like, there's no way he's in person, how he is online. Like I'd watched his lives. I'd like seen some things like, there's no way he's like that in real life. And then the first thing that someone asked me who knew who he was once they found out I met him, get back to Canada, we're talking about Mace and this dude's like, oh yeah, I follow this Leo Savage guy. I'm like, oh yeah, I've, I've met him. I've hung out with him a few times. And he's like, I got to ask, is he actually like that? Is he actually who he is online in person? Fuck yeah, he is. Absolutely. hundred percent. And uh, I don't think there's enough of that. There's too much of that liver king kind of stuff, right? Where there's a lot of the like, listen to all this stuff, but then there's all this bullshit happening behind the scenes. Not for me, baby. What you see is what you get. I love professional wrestling. I love rugby. I love my family and I love to swing shit. That's who I am. So uh, authenticity, I guess, would be another big takeaway from him.
So yeah, those are a handful of coaches. Like you said, there'd be dozens and dozens more that a person could, could shout out. I could call, I could shout out my first martial arts instructors for instilling the skills that now allow me to learn flows easily. I could thank, you know, everybody, but uh, of my, of the big ones, of course, I'd say mom, coach hall, Paul Terrace, Walt Kowinski, and of course, Leo Savage. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Um, through all the highs and lows, that is this journey of life. Um, what do you feel has been the greatest life lesson that you've learned on the path that you feel called in this very moment to share with everyone listening along? Oh yeah, definitely. The, if you want something that doesn't exist, create it. Uh, it's risky. It can absolutely be risky, but every amazing thing in my life has come because I have created something that I wanted. Uh, the other day I was talking with my wife on how we lead a very different kind of lifestyle than a lot of people, especially around our age. We both just recently turned 30. Um, she's a nurse. So she works like 12 days a month kind of thing. I'm a personal trainer, like business owner, online coach. So I have a very weird schedule as well. So because of that, we get to spend a ton of time together, a ton of time with our kids. And, uh, we live a little bit of a different kind of life. And I was saying, I was like, you know what, like we, I live a very different life, but you'd never, you could never say that it's not a life of my own creation. And I am so proud of that. And I think that's such a beautiful thing, like live a life of your own creation. And by that, to do that, if you want something that doesn't exist, you have to create it. So I guess uh, if I were to summarize both those two things together, create, Create, my friends, create, 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 create until you live the life that you want, until you have around you the things you want to have around you. Just create. Mm -hmm. And it starts right now. It starts right in this moment. Um, it's all about the process rather than the destination. That's one thing that I've learned on my path that I'm sure you can resonate with yourself. Of course. Of course. So to close every episode, I ask every guest these final two questions and we're at that point um the first one in three words how would you describe the experience you were having on this earth um doesn't have to be a sentence but just three words that come to mind that describe the experience you are living today in this infinite now um you could elaborate on those words if you wish or not i think i just did i would say my own creation my own creation perfect the life of my own creation Mm -hmm. And the final question, we've played a lot of, with time, we've examined the past, we've played in the present, and now I'm going to fast forward things and we're going to zip on into the future and we're going to be alongside an 85-year-old Zach Yannick. Who is that man? What is the legacy you left behind and what are the predominant feelings in your body? Well, you know, at 85, I intend to be at the prime of my life. Uh, I intend to live to 150. That's when I'm going to cap it. 150. That's what I've decided years ago. I decided I was either going to live to 27 or to 150. I was like eight when I decided that. Uh, I'm past 27 now. So I'm living to 150. So world, you're stuck with me for a good 120 more years. But at 85, yeah, man, I'll just be peaking. You know, I've seen this video of a, an 85 year old Gata practitioner in India swinging a 20 kilo mace with one hand. I'm, I'm going to double that. That's my goal. Uh, so at 85, I'm going to be surrounded by grandkids and great grandkids and probably great great grandkids at that point too and they're all going to be badass whatever practitioners they're all going to have some sort of movement practice it doesn't have to be a mace but it'd be cool if they were but they're all gonna they're that's my big goal i guess is that i'm gonna have a family that 
creates a life that they want. I'm going to have family that chases their passion. And I'm going to be this like badass old patriarch of that family that's still swinging his mace and swinging his clubs at 85 and who looks younger than his grandchildren. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. And the legacy that you've left in your time um, and then the predominant feelings in your body. Legacy left in my time. Oh, I would say uh, I would love for there to just be a world of like mace and club coaches who are out there not to try and like expand their name, but to grow the practice, to help people, to put mace in hands, to put club in hands, um, and that they're teaching it in a the the holistic ideas that I approach it with. I would say if I were to have a, not if, but when I have a legacy that outlasts me, it's going to be built around these tools, not just the things that I've done with them, but the people that I've empowered with them. Uh, to me, that's where a legacy comes from, not from your own accomplishments, but from the accomplishments of the people that you've been able to impact. Um, I will one day have a student that surpasses me. I think that will be the greatest legacy I could possibly have. Uh, a student that swings heavier than me, that swings longer than me, that coaches more students than me. That's the student I'm looking forward to. Uh, so that will be my legacy is these tools will continue to help people with my methodology, but thanks to my students, not through me. Uh, and then, well, sorry, what was the third question? How do you feel? You know, like I said, I'm going to be at the prime of my life. I'm only going to be halfway there. So at 85, I'm still going to be feeling good. My shoulders are going to feel so nice because I'm going to have a daily swing practice. Um, I, I'm going to have to imagine my knee and my ankle are going to be a little stiff, a little sore, uh, just from, you know, the replacements are going to age out a little bit quicker than I do, I think. And then if we're talking like the emotional feel, the soul yeah. feel, the inner feel, um, pride, just pride pure general pride. Uh, I identified a while ago that my, my favorite term of endearment for lack of a better word, or my favorite thing that somebody can say to me that makes me feel good uh, is I'm proud of you. And so uh, when I'm 85, the overwhelming sense that I want to feel is pride. I want to be proud of myself. I want to be proud of my legacy. I want to be proud of my students, my my family, my everything. I just want to feel proud. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Stay in that pride one moment longer. I would really want you to step into that mind, body, and soul, um, that embodiment of that 85-year-old Zach Yannick. And I'm going to bring us back into the present moment. And that 85-year-old man, he whispers, he sends you a message. What does he tell you in your ear? Oh, don't stop. Just that. Don't stop. Mm -hmm. And that is it. You're That's doing it. it. You're embodying it. You're being it right here, right now, from here on to infinity. Um, thank you so much, Zach. It's been a real pleasure and honor getting to know you and a bit more of your story. I'm sure this will inspire many listening along. I hope so. I hope so. And on that, uh, again, I'm here to help people. So I hope that this does inspire people. It does help people. Um, if you are listening to this and you need some guidance in any way, shape or form, whether it's Mason club stuff, whether it's some life stuff, whatever it is, I'm here to help you out. I am at Frankenlags on pretty much every form of social media. You'll be able to find me. Uh, I'm not on the Twitter and I'm not on the TikTok, but other than that, at Frankenlags. Mm -hmm. They can also find you at warriorflowfitness.com. You can. What's that? Sure can. 
Yep. And you'll also be leading Canada's first ever steel mace flow level one certification in Winnipeg, Manitoba at White Strong, at White Line Strong on April 22nd and 23rd. And they can find out more about that through um, your links at, at Franklin Legs on Instagram uh, and sign up for that course. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be fantastic. I am proud to say I was the very first ever Steel Maze Flow honors coach, like ever. And now I get to host Canada's first Steel Maze Flow certification. So I'm absolutely stoked. Like I said, come out, learn from my mistakes. Let me help you pass the growing pains. Let me show you why a 10 pound Steel Maze is all you need and all you'll need for quite a while. And uh, let's make magic. Yes, we're making it. Um, to close every episode, we bring our fist in for digital fuss bump. Step into the winner circle. Boom. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.